Hi, I'm Evan Duncan, the senior pastor of the Baptist Church of Westchester in Westchester, Pennsylvania. I'm so glad you found our podcast channel. On it, we share our weekly messages, and from time to time, you'll see some other things as well. If you want to learn more about our church or see how you can contact us, visit bcwc.org. I'm honored to introduce the Reverend Dr. Rochelle Foreman-Gunter. You might want to take a little time because we have quite uh, an accomplished speaker with us today, so this may take a little while. You can also see her uh, bio in the uh, in the bulletin. But um, Reverend Gunter is uh, Dr. Gunter is a member of the ministerial staff at St. Paul's Baptist Church, where she previously served as assistant to Pastor um, Reverend Dr. Scott Jones. She currently serves as co-chair of the Worship Arts Ministry and also serves in Women's Fellowship, New Members Ministry, and the Martin Luther King Jr. Ministry. Reverend Dr. Gunter was born and raised in Philadelphia and educated in the Philadelphia School District before attending Harkham College, where she received an associate degree in medical technology. She went on to attend Temple University, where she received a bachelor's degree in secondary education, biology, and general science. Reverend Rochelle taught middle school science in the Camden School District before returning to Rutgers University, where she received a master's degree in psychology. For 20 years, Reverend Dr. Gunter served as a therapist and administrator in community mental health in the inner city of Philadelphia. She worked to educate residents about the value of supporting recovery from addiction and mental health, as well as helping to create seamless entry into services needed for children and adults. She also worked to increase tolerance in the workplace by creating opportunities for diversity and employment. During a successful career in community mental health, Reverend Dr. Gunter responded to a long-deferred call to the ministry to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In 1991, she became a licensed minister and entered Eastern Baptist Theological Seminary, which is now Palmer. In 1996, she was ordained a minister of the gospel at New Bethlehem Baptist Church in Philadelphia. In 1999, she was ordained a missionary at New Bethlehem Baptist Church. She has served as a missionary in Nairobi, Kenya, as well as mission projects in response to Hurricane Katrina and a rebuilding project in Ocean Springs, Mississippi. She has had the opportunity to share the gospel in Germany, France, South Africa, Swaziland, Israel, and widely throughout the United States. In 2022, Dr. Reverend Gunter was awarded a Doctor of Ministry from Lancaster Theological Seminary. She was the author of Are We There? Journeys of Faith and the Role of Racialized Trauma in Individuals Who Identify as Religiously Unaffiliated. Reverend Dr. Gunter considers her life calling to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. She does this through her ministerial work as well as her advocacy for social justice. She serves as the chair of the Westchester NAACP Political Action Committee and is involved in other groups and projects, some of which she has created. I was blessed to meet Reverend Dr. Gunter in 2020 during what is sometimes called the sit time of racial reckoning. I was blessed to be a part of the congregation, conversation group that she created. Reverend Michelle continues to open my heart and challenge me to the call of God's justice. I am thankful that God has brought us together and brought her here to be with us today. Welcome, Reverend Michelle. Good morning to you all. I am so delighted to be here. Um, we're going to go right to our scripture lesson this morning, and, um, and then we'll hear a word from the Lord. 
I do wish this morning that I had eyes in the back of my head. <laughs> so it looks like we're reading from the same version. Uh, I'm going to read, as you can see, read, please join me in the reading of our scripture. We're reading from the New Revised Standard Version. And it reads, starting at verse 27, Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. But no one said, What do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? And then moving to verses 39 through 42. Many Samaritans from the city believed in him because of the women's, the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I did say I was delighted to be here. I hardly believe it. I do wish that Pastor Jim and Arden were here, um, and I could see their lovely faces. We had a very long, loving, wonderful relationship, and I, I miss them terribly, though we do talk through email, I still miss them being physically in our presence. And that just speaks to the long partnership that um, St. Paul's and the Baptist Church have had that goes back even before that um, when Dr. Trent was our pastor. Um, but I just want to say to you that um, the partnership isn't one in name only. When I led a team to Ocean Springs, Mississippi, there were members from the Baptist Church on that team. Um, a woman named Jean, and I can't remember her last name, um, she was, along with um, Emily Mixon, they went. And we decided when we got to Mississippi that neither one of them um, should be hold a mallet in their hand. And so we put them in charge of equipment, which was essential, um, that we were going into places that were both snake infested, termite infested, and mole infested. And so they were responsible for the two weeks that we were there making sure that we had all of the hazardous equipment and masks and suits that we would wear whenever we go in, went into any of those properties. And so, um, Jean, I'll never forget her. I did something wrong. And she said, Reverend Rochelle, uh, no, that's not how we're going to do it. And, and I was like, you're in charge. 
And so I am thankful for that. I am thankful for having been here when you hosted the African Children's Choir. Um, and, and, and that was such a long time ago, but I remember these opportunities for us to do things together. And, and I hope that this is the beginning. Um, we love Pastor Evan. And so while we can't steal him away, we can make plans to, to have him share with us um, because I think that that's really important. So I do want to say to you, I don't feel like a stranger this morning. I feel like some, we're friends and we're finally reconnecting. And that's really um, what it's all about. We don't need to wait to get to heaven to start hanging out together. And so I'm delighted to see all of you. This morning, this word that I want to deliver to you, and I am a messenger, I want to deliver you, um, has been a word that has been buried, buried, buried deep in my spirit. And so I hope that it will bless you in the same way that it has blessed me. But before we go to the word, I do need to tap into the power source. So I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Gracious and heavenly Father, we come into your presence with thanksgiving and praise. Thankful, Lord, for another opportunity to delve into your word this morning. We ask, Lord, that you would be present in the delivery of this word. I have studied, I have prepared, but I have no power without you. So use me, Lord, for your honor and for your glory. Have your way in the lives of your people. Let this word take root in their hearts and their minds that it might glorify you. We are thank you. We are thankful that your word changes us in ways that are sometimes unimaginable, but according to your plan for our lives. Remind us often that we are Jeremiah 29, 11 people and that you have a plan for each one of us. We thank you in advance for hearing your word and responding, into, uh, and responding according to your plan for our lives. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus and his disciples headed to Galilee from Judea, journeying through Samaria. Samaria was the home of Samaritans who were hated. Hated because they worshipped the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in a different way. Hated because they didn't worship in Jerusalem, but in Samaria. Hated because... The Jews thought that because they had intermarried with their captors, the Assyrians, they were no longer truly Jews. Black Americans know something about being hated. First defined as three-fifths human, then treated like chattel and bred to build economic wealth for others. In 1790, there were less than 700,000 slaves. When the slave trade stopped in 1810, there was only 400,000. But through enforced breeding, 
1860, there were 4 million. Childbearing female slaves bore an average of nine children. Female slaves were often promised that if they bore 15 live births, they could be freed. That was often an empty promise. They were often convinced that if you bore 15, you can, bore, you can bear 16. And why would you want to be free and all of your 15 children left in slavery? This kind of enforced breeding was the worst. Slaves didn't have their choice of partners. And when slaves were not available for enforced breeding, plantation owners, sons, family relatives were happy to be participants in breeding slaves for the economic wealth of their owners. I tell you this story because I want us to always remember that hate goes way back. And so in the same way that nobody wanted to walk through Samaria, we have that experience ourselves even today. Jesus understood the othering of people who believed different and who looked different and who acted different. Jesus could have gone around Samaria by way of the coast. He could have traveled up the Jordan River to get to Galilee. Instead, Jesus took the most direct route from Judea back to Galilee and journeyed through Samaria, increasing the probability that he would encounter a Samaritan. But the Jews hated Samaritans, or at least they were supposed to. How many of us have found ourselves in a situation where the journey took us to a place we didn't want to be? How many of us remember our journey through our career that took a stop in a position that we hated going to work? How many of us remember a journey to a marriage that was too short or too long and there were too many stops along the way that were disastrous? How many remember a journey that took us outside of our comfort zone in the hope that we would find that thing that we were looking for. How many academic majors did we choose in college before landing on the thing that we were passionate about, the work that we would love our whole life? How often has the direct route not really been direct at all, but taken us to some place we hadn't planned. I tell people all the time, when I say I'm going to Norristown, but go by way of King of Prussia Mall, I really didn't mean to go to Norristown. And so for many of us, we understand what it's like to go into a place we hadn't planned to go, to find ourselves in a situation we hadn't planned to be in. But Jesus was intentional. 
he went to Samaria on purpose. A reminder to us that sometimes we just need to go to the places that we don't want to go to, but need to go to. I've lived in Westchester for uh, the last, since 2004. Before that, I lived close to the city. You heard in my bio that I grew up in Philadelphia. Uh, and I tell people that my growing up in Philadelphia uh, was interesting. Every home that I ever lived in in Philadelphia, when my family moved out, the redevelopment department of the city of Philadelphia came along and declared the home uninhabitable, and in many cases, tore it down. When I drive through the city of Philadelphia and I drive by the places where my family lived, they're empty lots. They're unintended places. They're places where no one wants to go, where the city deemed it was not habitable for people to live in. And so it's really important for us to know that somebody came by those places. Somebody told my mother, a young single mother, about the goodness of the Lord. Someone convinced her that despite the places that she lived, that nobody wanted to live in, that no one should have lived in, somebody told her that despite that, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. When I drive my friends through West Philly now, it's a laugh. She says, it's another lot. Yes, they tore it down after my family moved out. It's another lot. Yes, they tore it down after my family moved out. And so places over and over and over again that were unintended and uninhabitable are places where we need to go because Jesus set the example of going into Samaria when everybody else wanted to go around. And so it's a reminder to us that Jesus shows us why going into unintended places uh, can result in unexpected blessings. Now, don't anybody get in your car and go to Philadelphia today. You go when God leads you. You go where God leads you, when God leads you. But it's important to know that we've all found ourselves in unintended places. How many of us have children in college? Uh-huh. And my daughter went to Drexel University. She changed her major three times. So we're running out of money, kid. Figure out what it is that you love and set your mind on that. We can't go from major to major to major. But I do a lot of work with Westchester University, and I hear kids saying, I can't, I can't settle on a major. I can't figure out what I'm supposed to be doing. No one has connected the dots for them. It's like, well, you can't be here for a decade trying to figure that out. But it's a reminder to us that sometimes we find ourselves in unintended spaces. 
and we can expect God will bless us even in those dark places. And so I share my story of my calling to ministry and people are surprised that I knew I was called into ministry at 16. God spoke very clearly to me. I'm going to use you to deliver my word. I loved God's word even as a, as a teenager. I loved the word of God. But there were no women in ministry. There was no one I could look up to. And so I said to God, and I don't encourage anybody to do what I did. I said, no, God, I'm going to do this because it's better. And one day on my way to Rutgers University, I saw somebody being pulled out of a car with the jaws of life. And I heard God say to me, psychology is not what I called you to. And so I joined a friend in Germany. I spent two and a half weeks praying daily. I knew exactly what God wanted me to do. I was a Sunday school teacher, and I was a trustee, and I was a choir director. I was skirting the issue, but I knew I had to do it. So at 38, I got up on New Year's Eve and said, okay, I'm finally, I, I surrender. I give up. I'm going to do what God called me to do. And the pastor said to me, I heard what you said. <laughs> You're going to preach your initial sermon. That was New Year's Eve, New Year's, well, December 31st. You're going to preach your initial service sermon in March. And I did that. And so it's a reminder to us. I know that I'm not alone. I'm in the hot seat at the moment. But I know that there are many of you sitting in the pew that God has given you some direction called you to do something, is speaking to you about something he wants for you in your life that you've been trying to blow him off. And so I encourage you, it's the human thing to do, to trust what God has called you to. He will see you through it. He will go with you in every step of the journey. And so Jesus went into Samaria not just for Samaritans, but so that when we read this portion of scripture, we would know that we're supposed to go into unintended places as well. He went directly into Samaria and he slowed down and then he stopped in Sychar and he sat down near Jacob's well. Now, what must the disciples have thought? First, he doesn't go around. Could have been a lovely trip up the Mediterranean coast. Absolutely lovely. Or we could have taken a boat and gone up the Jordan to the Sea of Galilee. But no, he walks through, he stops, and he sits down. What are we doing? And so the disciples, he sends them off. And I'm always amazed he sent them to get food. At the moments when Jesus doesn't explain, doesn't, doesn't tell them what he's trying to do, doesn't, doesn't remind them that he knows what's coming, he just sends them off 
on a task. Jesus stopped and sent his disciples for food, and then Jesus rested in the noonday sun. God shows up in unexpected places at unexpected times, doing unexpected things. God is willing to wait for us to come to the most unlikely place. He demonstrates his love for us, then while we were yet sinners, he sent his son Jesus to meet us where we are. Know today that whatever you're going through, whatever you may be struggling with, Jesus will meet you in that place. And that's good news for all of us, because sometimes we can't get to the place that we think we need to be, but we can be sure that Jesus will get to us because there's no place that is out of his reach. I love the portion of scripture that says that even the darkness is not dark to God, that there's no place that he can't see us or find us. Psalm 139 says, he searched me and knows, and knows me. And that knowledge is too wonderful. That's good news. So it's a lucky day for somebody at the well because Jesus has sat there and he is waiting. So when you get up and when you're thinking that things are not going right, it's your lucky day. It's an opportunity to have an encounter with Jesus when there's no one to go to, when you don't have the answer for your problems. Today is your lucky day lucky day. It was that woman's lucky day. She came to Jacob's well at the height of the day, noonday. Sun is high in the sky. Now Jacob's well was the water cooler of the day. It was the Instagram, the TikTok, the Facebook of the day. It's a place where people gathered and not only was there water, but there was news, there was gossip, there was all that was going on at the village. That all happened at Jacob's well. They gathered there twice a day, usually in the cool of the morning, in the dusk. They helped each other gather water uh, for their livestock, for their meals, for this for themselves, and so there was always a crowd, twice a day, morning and dusk. But this woman comes in the heat of the day when no one else is around. That in itself tells us something about who this woman was, that she would come at the time of the day when no one else would be there, she would come at the time of the day where she would, have to, she would have to drop her jar into the well and raise it on her own without the help of others. And so for her to come at that time of the day is important for us to note. She didn't want to see anybody. And it's likely no one wanted to see her either coming to the well. She wasn't interested in getting help that she needed, but it is here 
that Jesus waits for her, an encounter I don't think she will ever forget. Be encouraged today that even when you think that you are absolutely alone, you are not. Jesus will wait for you in that lonely place where you find yourself. Jesus is there, it's unexpected, and he does even something more unexpected. He speaks to her. He speaks to her. Away from the disapproving eyes of Jesus' disciples, the Samaritan women's neighbors, Jesus engages this woman in a conversation about his gift of life-giving, living water. Water will not, natural water will not permanently eliminate her thirst. But what Jesus promises her is the gift of living water that will spring up in her and give her eternal life. You know the story. You've heard it in the scripture. Jesus offers her this water. And I think it's important to remember that this was a whosoever woman. We don't know her name. We don't know what she did for a living. We know a few things about them and none of them are good. When I looked at the commentaries, I tell people this, when I looked at the commentaries, one commentator said she was rude and she was stupid. I threw that commentary across the room, okay? We have to remember that what she was, was she was in need of something that she had not gotten even after having five husbands. That's a sad state of affairs because husbands were the covering of the day. Husbands were essential. You didn't have a voice. No one was interested in what you were thinking except the husband who knew that happy wife meant happy life. And so clearly she hadn't had that because she had had five husbands. So when she asked Jesus to give her this water, he says, go and call your husband. And the lesson for us is when Jesus shows up unexpectedly in our life, when we desperately need him, we need to do what this woman, this woman did. She told the truth. She said, I have had five husbands. And the man that I'm with now, I am not married to. When we encounter Jesus in our heavy moments, whatever we're going through, we need to remember that what Jesus wants is absolute, complete honesty about the state of our affairs. We don't need to make up anything. We don't need to exaggerate the story. We don't need to pull something out of the clouds to tell Jesus. We're talking to the man who knows everything about us. And so we can be confident if someone who knows everything about us still wants to be in relationship with us, that we should just tell the truth.
we should just tell the truth. I used to teach my children a song um, uh, that was just obey God. Because kids often, when we ask them what they've done, they start to make up a story. I, I wasn't really running. Well, see, what had happened was, when our children start with that, what had happened was, then we want to encourage them to just tell the truth. That becomes really important. Well, my two and a half year old who has about two dozen words, of, right now they're the words that he likes to choose. Are you ready? Can we go now? Help please, milk. Um, I want, when I ask him, you know, how did the table get upside down? I want him to tell me that he really did flip the table because there are only two of us in the house, okay? And I don't want him to make me think I flipped the table over, okay? So it's really important in this encounter with Jesus that she tells the truth. Now, there's a term out there. I don't use it, and I am older than I look. But there's this idea that women are described as thirsty, um, and, and so when I Googled that, it was that these women were desperate for attention and authentic affection. And so it reminded me that we still live in a time where people's needs are not being met because they look for the need to be met outside of God. And as hard as it is to imagine, when God established marriage, he, he established it for the purpose of being able to accomplish what he calls us to do, but not so that it replaced a relationship with him. And so we will always be thirsty if we try to get our needs met outside of God. We will always be thirsty if we don't go to the source to have our needs met. We will always be thirsty if we try to get from this world what only God can provide. And that's important for us to remember. And the conversation that this woman has with Jesus reminds her in that moment, that what she has been trying to get in relationship can only come from a relationship with God. Now, I will say this. I've learned to do this from Dr. Croft, my current pastor, is that when a story has sort of taken on a life of its own to try to veer us back into something that is really uh, closer to the truth, the woman at the well gets a bad rap because everybody says she has five husbands. Wow, she must have been something. But most people don't remember that in order to divorce a woman, that could only happen under a man's authority. So the fact that she had had five husbands 
really meant that five husbands had divorced her. We don't know the reasons why, but somehow men get left out of some stories about women, like the story of the, uh, the woman caught in adultery and other stories. So this woman had been passed around by five husbands who first agreed to marry her and then divorced her. And then the sixth man wouldn't even marry her. And so it's really important to understand that this woman was desperate to hear from the Lord because what she had gone through was a constant reminder that she couldn't get what she needed naturally. It only came from a spiritual relationship with God. And that's the lesson for any of us today, that if we're looking for something, we're going to be sadly disappointed because what makes us whole, what gives us complete life, what, what brings unconditional love is a relationship with God. And so I just wanted to say that to you so we won't, we won't make the woman at the well Jezebel. We'll just remember that she had been passed around. And the story that I told you about slavery at the beginning is that even though my ancestors were slaves, because of intergenerational trauma, I understand the idea of women of color being passed around from men to men to men because of slavery. My grandmother had nine children. She had one husband, but she had nine children. It wasn't until child number five that one of her children graduated from high school. I was the first to graduate from high school in my generation, but also the first to graduate from college. And so we began to understand these generational atrocities that get passed down from generation to generation to generation. And I'm not the exception to the rule. In the same way that intergenerational trauma gets passed down in ancestors of enslaved Africans, generational trauma gets passed down to everyone. So when you look back at your own family histories, you may see that there is generational trauma that gets passed down as well. And so it's important for us to remember that these problems, these issues, this traumatic influence that gets passed down to us is understood by God because the woman says, I talked to a man who knows everything about me. God knows all about my intergenerational trauma. He knows all about your intergenerational trauma. God knows all about our family secrets. Most of us are, we sit in with some sense of comfort that there's nobody in the world who knows everything about us. But guess what? God knows everything about us. And that's good news. He loves us despite all the things that he, that he knows about us. Your best kept secret is not a secret from God. 
And so it's a reminder to us that the things that we believe make us unlovable, God knows them all and loves us, loves us despite them. And so this woman is so excited. She came to get water. When she realizes that she's had a conversation with the Messiah who says, I am he, she leaves her water jar. What was the point of coming to get water and you leave the water jar? And she goes into the village saying, come see a man who told me all about myself, everything that I've ever done. Can he be the Messiah? And so when we have an encounter with God, this woman sets the example for us. We need to tell everybody about the goodness of Jesus. We need to be able to tell people that the man who knows all about me loved me despite all of the things that I've ever done. She runs into the village. I wonder what was the point of going to the well if you were going to leave the jar, the water jar? You know you'll have to go back. And so she's so excited. It's an unimaginable, unexpected blessing that God has changed her and the very people who didn't want to have anything to do with her, she now wants to have something to do with them. That's the transformational power of an encounter with Jesus Christ. It will make you love everybody. All that, that stuff you thought you would keep shut up, and shut up in your bones? Oh, no. I just can't keep it to myself. I have to tell the goodness of Jesus. And so it's a reminder to us in this story where Jesus meets a woman that was hated by everybody else, that when he met her, the encounter was so good that she wanted to tell everybody about it. It was a reminder that that's how we should feel. When we have an encounter with Jesus, when he does something particularly special, there ought to be somebody that we want to tell. Uh, we'll never know the details of this woman's failed marriage. But we do know that this woman knew her own condition and she knew it was changed. She knew that she was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply, staying within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard her despairing cry. And from the waters lifted her, and now she was safe, safe and I. Love lifted me, love lifted you, love lifted all of us. When nothing else could help, love lifted all of us. Jesus will provide life-giving water that will make us all unashamed. And I know that this is a church and everybody here is, is saved and professes faith in Jesus Christ. We have work to do here in this community to make sure that that message reaches the community around us. And so it's a reminder to us to say to somebody, come meet a man who told me everything I have ever done. That's my word for you today. I pray that you will be encouraged 
and that you will know that wherever God sends you, he equips you and he'll get you there. Let's pray. Gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. Come and see a man who told me everything that I have ever done. Unintended spaces that turn into unexpected blessings is the story of the work that you do on our behalf. We ask, Lord, that you would have your way in our lives. Remind us, Lord, that whatever we're going through, you are way ahead of us. You have already met our needs, and you will guide us and direct us. We thank you this morning for an opportunity to lift your word. We bless your name. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Baptist Church of Westchester podcast. If you have questions, want to connect, or are looking for ways that you can support God's work at this church, visit bcwc.org. And as you go, through whatever your day may throw at you, I want to share this blessing with you. May the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you in the wilderness, protect you in the storms. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Go and be the church.